0: Well, it's Pentecost Sunday. Our text is from Acts chapter 2, where the story of Pentecost was told. We'll read the first four verses. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, fill your church once again. Have your way in us that we might become what you desire us to be. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. The day of Pentecost came, and suddenly, God took control of the church. There are two things about that statement that bother a lot of us longtime church folks. First, we don't like suddenly. We don't want anything to happen suddenly. It's dangerous. It sounds careless. Uh, There needs to be some thought. We need time to consider pros and cons. We need to think through things first. Uh, There's the old joke that asks, uh, how many Methodists does it take to screw in a light bulb? Uh, The answer is 13. 12 on the committee to vote for it and one volunteer to actually screw the bulb in. That is the way we work sometimes. We tend towards caution, but God acted suddenly. We prefer if things happen in a more orderly fashion. Uh, Monthly is nice for us. We do love our monthly meetings. Uh, That's the way that God should act, we think. Quarterly is even better for us Methodists. It gives us a, a little more time to examine the issues. Annually is better still. And for us lifelong Methodists, we really feel that it's best when God acts quadrennially. For those outside of Methodism, that means every four years. We like a more measured approach to everything, and yet God acted suddenly and with incredible results. God didn't take a vote. He didn't pull the crowd in the upper room to see how they were feeling. God acted on his own, and he acted suddenly. And when he did, the, uh, the crowd listened. On that day of Pentecost, 5,000 men were saved plus women and children because God moved when God was ready and the people just followed God acted to control God's church. The second part of that statement bothers us too, although we are even less likely to admit that. The second part of the statement says that God took control of the church. We've had a hard time with that dating all the way back to the very beginning. We've always struggled with letting God be in charge. Think of how odd that that even sounds. But it started in the very beginning. You go all the way back to, to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are living there in paradise. Every need provided, all the food that they could desire to eat. They're taking long walks in the cool of the afternoon with God. What more could you ask for? and yet ultimately when temptation came it was not enough for adam and eve to allow god to be in charge it was not enough for them to simply worship god they made a decision to become gods themselves they wanted some control they wanted some say in the issue i wonder if it was kind of baked into our dna from that moment on because the bible and in history are filled with stories of us trying to take control back from God for us to determine our own destinies by our own wills uh, our Old Testament reading for today comes from the book of Numbers chapter 11 in in that book uh, in that chapter God speaks to Moses and says I'm going to pour my spirit out of 70 of your leaders so that they too will be able to prophesy God is offering Moses some much-needed help And so they choose the 70 and the time comes and God pours out God's spirit on these 70 new leaders and they begin to prophesy. But crisis arises, a crisis for the folks that think like I think sometimes. Uh, Two of those leaders didn't happen to be at the tabernacle when God gave the spirit. They were still in the camp. They were away from church, something we can all identify with right now. They were away from church when God acted. And yet still God gave God's spirit to them away from church. Isn't that good news? And they began to prophesy in the camp. Well, some little tattletale ran and told Moses and Joshua, said, those two, Eldad and Medad, are over there prophesying in the tabernacle. Well, Joshua hears it. Now, this is Moses' right-hand man, the the man who will take over leadership for Israel uh, not much later. Joshua says, Moses, we need to go stop them. How dare they? Think about that. Mo- Joshua says, God has blessed them to prophesy, and they are prophesying. Now we need to go stop them because we don't like where they're prophesying. You see that how subtly we like to control what God is up to in our world? Fortunately, in that story, Moses' wisdom prevailed. Moses said, hey, I wish that God would give the Spirit to everybody and that everybody could prophesy everywhere. And that really brings us to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is given to all flesh. Uh, What a great day. But it didn't end the problem. Even in New Testament times, we continue to try to take control back from God. You remember the Great Commission. Jesus spoke to the disciples. And he said, you're to go into all the world and preach the gospel." Now, Luke tells the story in Acts chapter 1 this way. He says, you're going to go into Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus actually tells the disciples, you're going to start where you are in Jerusalem, spread out to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the earth. Jesus charts the course for them. But yet we get over to Acts chapter 8, and a guy named Philip who was a layperson. He was on the food committee in the early church. He was elected by, uh, to help hand out food uh, earlier in the book. Uh, Philip, who's this layperson, goes down to Samaria, exactly where Jesus told him to go. And he begins preaching the word to the Samaritans, just like Jesus told him to, and they begin to believe. And he starts baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, word gets back to the church leaders in Jerusalem, And they're concerned. They send Peter and John down to Samaria to make sure that it's all okay. The the church leader says, well, Philip's down there doing exactly what God said to do. And God is providing exactly like God said God would. But we better go make sure that it's okay. Why did the church think they needed to vote on God doing what God promised it would do? It's something about who we are. Just a little bit later, a couple of chapters later, uh, Peter has a vision. God sets a table before him filled with all sorts of unclean food. God's preparing Peter for ministry to the Gentiles. And he uses this, this unclean feast as a method of preparation. God sets all of this unclean food before Peter and he says, arise and eat all that's been blessed. Well, Peter argues with God. No, Lord, I've never eaten any of this stuff. I will not defile myself. Peter, Peter says he won't defile himself by obeying God. Peter won't, Peter is disobeying God on the claim that he's being obedient to God. It just makes my head spin. Uh, God is there telling Peter to do this, and Peter says, no, I'm too holy for that. Too holy to do what God told him to do. And we just really struggle with this business about God being in control of us. The Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 wrestled with the same thing. Remember I said that Jesus told the disciples who would be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's where the Gentiles live, the folks like us. All the non-Jews. Uh, God promises that the word is going to get to them. Well, by Acts chapter 15, that's happening. Uh, by Acts 15, uh, already in Antioch and other places, Gentiles are believing the gospel. They're being baptized. They're being filled with the Spirit. They are fully in the body of Christ at this point, and yet the Jerusalem Council calls a meeting to decide if it's okay. The leadership of the church holds a meeting to see if it's okay that God is doing what God is already doing among the Gentiles. Or do we need to put some other restrictions? Maybe God's doing it wrong and it's our job to fix it. It was a pivotal moment in the early church, fortunately, they decided ultimately that it was okay for God to do what God was doing. And and as a Gentile, I'm very grateful for that. God took control.
1: That unnerves us a little bit.
0: It continued on into church history. Uh, in the very early years of the church, uh, if someone disagreed with leadership, too often they were exiled or even executed. I- I'm not sure how it is that, that the church can hear the words of Jesus, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, but then they can act in a way to say, if you disagree with us, we're going to burn you at the stake. You you hear one thing, you do the exact opposite. Because we're not sure that God being in control is what's best for us. We wrestled with it in the early church when we get up to the time of the Reformation. uh, Martin Luther uh, offers some very important criticisms of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, He's not wanting to start a new denomination, he's not wanting to destroy Catholicism. But there's some things that need to be improved and he makes his recommendations and for doing that for that de- for daring to question the authority of the church he is ex- excommunicated and they make him an outlaw he has to live life on the run for a while because he disagreed with the church there again uh, love your enemies or lock your enemies up we got to make up our mind uh, Few years later john wesley the founder of our own denomination uh began preaching salvation by grace through faith alone and uh he, he started preaching that in the in the church of england and from their pulpits and it didn't go over well wesley was quoting the apostle paul that we're saved by grace through faith but the church didn't like it and they threw him out they said he was not allowed to preach in their pulpits So in that day, you owned your cemetery plot and owned the church ground normally. And so uh, Wesley went out to the cemetery plot and he owned that land. He could preach from there and he continued to preach salvation by grace through faith alone. Time and again, too many times. Church leaders have gathered and made decisions to exclude people. We've chosen to exclude people that are created in the image of God. Now whose action was that? Was that God leading the church or was that folks like me leading the church? Did we wrestle control away from God? When when the church voted to exclude Gentiles, Protestants, when the church voted to exclude African Americans and women, was that God doing that? Or was that a church that was unhappy with the way God was behaving. I'm guilty, we're, probably all of us are, we wrestle power away from God selfishly, wanting to use it to do things our way. The churches, too often throughout history, including some in the present, we have chosen to do things our way. And our results have been horrible compared to what God accomplished when God was in charge on the day of Pentecost. But today is that day. What a great day. What an incredible day for the church to invite the Holy Spirit to come in. What an awesome opportunity for us to invite God to once again take control of the church. I want to suggest to you four things that we should do as we prepare to invite God to take control. First, repent. Can we together repent of those times that we have done church our way without checking in with God, when we have chosen to follow our own wills rather than God's will? Can we repent of those times together? Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for trying to take over the lead in your church. Second, I would invite us to pray for God's will that we would truly desperately seek out God's will the Holy Spirit came on that original crowd after they had been in a 10-day long prayer meeting for 10 days they had been seeking God's will and then God acted I believe that revival for us also requires that kind of attention to prayer that we not just prayer where we're giving God a laundry list of things we want him to do for us that's putting us back in control again but prayer that is seeking God's will that is opening ourselves up to do what God calls us to do, even if it's not what we had planned. So can we repent of our desire to control and can we dedicate ourselves to lives of prayer where we seek God's will? Before we we cast a vote as a church for anything, can we spend time in prayer to see if we're casting the vote God wants? The third thing that I would encourage as we invite the Holy Spirit into his church on Pentecost is to practice tolerance. You know, I've come across people that I was convinced were on the outside of the faith. I was sure that their belief system was all wrong. And uh, quite frankly, some of those folks I assumed would probably end up with eternal judgment. Uh, I've run across those folks in my life. But some of those people that, some of those people that I thought were on the outside exhibited the fruit of the spirit when i got to know them a little bit even though they disagreed with my faith story their lives showed uh, love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control they live lives of love now i can either assume that i'm right and that my opinion of them is right or I could consider that maybe God's doing something I don't understand maybe God is working in that person's life in a way that I haven't figured out yet and quite frankly is none of my business as I as I get older I'm choosing the latter more and more often to recognize that maybe God is doing some things in other people other ways that I don't understand and I don't have to I'm certainly convinced that God is so big, that our God is so awesome, that God is constantly working in ways that would confound me. And so we can repent of our desire to control. We can pray for God's wisdom and direction. We can practice tolerance to understand that God's acting in ways that we don't yet understand. Finally, there are some actions that I know we can take. The Bible is very clear about some of those things that please God. We, we don't have to wonder if it's okay to serve the poor. We don't have to question if feeding hungry people is the right thing to do. We can be busy liberating the oppressed, caring for the widow and the orphan. These things that we know are so close to the heart of God, we know that we can be busy doing now. That's a part of unleashing the spirit in our time and in our place. in in the book of Revelation, Jesus writes a letter to the church at Laodicea, and there's a verse in there that we always, we church folks like to use with people that are not Christian. When we're trying to win them over to the faith, we tell them that, you know, God is standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. If you just open the door of your heart, God would come in. Uh, That may be true, but it's not what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea revelation chapter 3 verse 20 jesus says behold i stand at the door and knock the letter was written to the church jesus is standing at the door of the church knocking trying to get in the church and he promises that if anybody <laughs> will open the door he'll come in and he'll have fellowship with us well i pray that we are i pray that at forest lake that we will continue to open the door to christ that we will continually open the door and invite Christ in to, that we'll invite God to be in charge of God's church here at Forest Lake. It's my deep prayer that Christ will have his way with his church. Amen.